Well, you can be seated. Good morning. My name is Chad Puckett. Uh, If I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, I'm one of the pastors around here, and it is an honor and a joy just to get to be here in this city, to love this city. And we mean it when we say it, that we would love the opportunity to buy you a cup of coffee, to uh, grab lunch, to just hear more about uh, how you ended up with us, and and for us to know you, to know how to pray for you, and, and honestly, to love this city together. So we mean it when we say that. Uh, just again, as, as was mentioned, we get to wrap up Job today, which is uh, kind of funny in its timing that we would go to Easter and then come back one week out of Easter to wrap up a book, but we can't do anything about a snowstorm that hit us in February. So uh, it does feel, when looking at the totality of all of it, like there is some providence here for us taking one more week, coming out of Easter, coming out of everything that we got to celebrate with Easter, to stop and, and to see the bow on this story. And so I hope you join us. If you have not been able to be a part of our other sermons in this series, you can find those online. We, I would encourage you to go back because uh, they have been such an encouragement to my soul, to people as I've talked to, uh, just around like this book that has so many questions, so many uh, ideas that we bring to it. it. In many ways, it's just a caricature. And I do believe that for many people, maybe you've read the first three chapters and then just thrown up your hands and said, I'm out of here. All of those other sermons are online and you can find those. And so as we step into this, I just want to invite you to pray for our time. I want to pray for it. I want you to pray for me. And let's jump into this and ask God to meet us. Father, thank you for the book of Job. Thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to gather Thank you for the body of Christ. And I pray that you would move us beyond just a service that we attend to a God that we are interacting with this morning. And and so, Lord, fill our time. Help us to move past religion and to walk in faith. God, we depend on you for all of that. And so, uh, we're, we're simply asking you to meet us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the things I was thinking about, we get to Job at 42, and this kind of moves past the poetry. This is, is pretty straightforward. There's three sections in this, and it, and it gets past uh, all kind of confusing talk. And any one of us could read this and, and just get the three sections that are here. And, and what we want and what we get is actually, this is a moment where they line up. What we want as people is a happy ending. We want that. We're, it's hardwired into us to want a happy ending. It's as if the creator wired us to, to love story and to love uh, the idea of something happening. But we want to, to believe that there's a happy ending in the end. It's why we love reading books around that. It's why we love movies. And, and you see that drama in there play out again and again. We, we love to see it. You might not be a sports fan, but, but when you see those human interest stories, it's like, oh man, that, that Russian skater, uh, like I, I'm just for that person. I don't even know. Like you hear the stories, you hear what they've gone through, and, and you're pulling for that happy ending. 
And what we forget in happy endings is, is that they require hard middles. They require those difficult middles. You, you rarely see a story that just stays happy from beginning to end. Those stories rarely are compelling. Now, we could be, if we we're honest, we we're like, that's what I want. It's just a story that stays up here happy the whole time. I don't want the hard. I don't want the difficult spots. We want those up here. But the stories that we're drawn to, the stories that we watch movies, read books, the stories often have a dip and a hard in the middle. There's no party at the Shire without going to the mines of Moria. It's one of the reasons why, objectively, Titanic is a bad movie because Rose is a monster. It doesn't end well. It, Rose is a monster, and she is the villain of the story. And it's why, objectively, this is a bad thing because there's actually no happy ending to this. And you walk away from it going, like, what is happening? We get to Job 42, and we actually get the happy ending. We get a happy ending to this Job story. There is a neat and tidy bow that gets tied right here. And yet, it's also not the whole story, right? Job is not just like a story to be taken on its own. It's not just a story that is like, okay, we have Job, and that's a nice parable for us to live. Like, Job's about something more. Job is a thread in a much bigger and more beautiful tapestry. We get Job pointing to something far more beautiful than just this difficult story. And so this morning, I, I just want us to kind of stop and, and remember how we got here. Remember how we got here in this place, uh, whether you've been with us or, or haven't. Uh, but let's just remember kind of how we got here. Let's kind of look to what is coming and what this chapter unfolds in, in Job's life. And then let's say, what is it all about? That's what we want to do this morning, and we just want to see it from the text, how it unfolds for us. And so if you, if you were to pick up this book and just start in the first two chapters, you have this event that is unlike any other event in Scripture. You have this dialogue between the enemy, Satan, and God uh, who reigns about God's servant, Job. And you have this discussion that's going back and forth that, that Job wouldn't even believe you if you didn't just bless his life. You get to chapter 3, and then 3 through 37, which if it's on your Bible reading plan, these are the chapters that typically knock people out. It's 3 through 37, which is this really painful section of, like, why? Why is this happening? Why is this going on in my life? Or the friends show up in this. There's all this discussion, and it moves from pain and suffering to absolute loss and dejection, where by the end, Job is raging at God. He's just raging. He's just, he is ticked off. And, and this is something that happens for a lot of us. I find myself here. I found myself here yesterday where my problems are really big and God is suddenly really small. And that's what we get by the end of chapter 37. <laughs> really big problems. And from Job's perspective, a really small God. And maybe if we were to just be really honest, like that is what you're walking through today. 
that it's really easy to see all the problems that are around you or a problem around you that you could name and really say this is huge or massive. And what you need to see is just like in this story, just like in this whole book of Job, God is not small. He is, he is not small. When you get to 38, you get to chapter 38, and then you have 39, 40, 41, you have four chapters where God answers. And God speaks up in a huge way. He breaks the silence of this and he goes directly at Job. And and what's interesting, so fascinating in this is that he doesn't answer Job's question. He actually goes right at him with a whole series of questions. And and they're they're so much bigger than we give them credit for. They're so much bigger than even Job was asking. It, It goes right to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the work? Where were you when I hung the stars? Where were you when I was putting these pieces together? Are you the one who can control this? Are you the one who has uh, the means to make this happen? Are you the one who can sit in judgment over all these things? Job, where were you? And you get that. God breaks his silence. He makes it absolutely clear that he has not been absent. He has not been lazy. He has not been tamed by something. He is not like above his pay grade in this. God actually steps in and makes it abundantly clear that all of this, even the worst evils, the behemoth and the Leviathan are all under his control. Every bit of it. You have these chapters in which it's just overwhelming God God is victor we're, we're not sitting in this book saying I wonder if God can win there is there's no fight this, this isn't a fight this isn't a fair fight there isn't a there isn't this big monster this big scary thing this big undefined evil that is going to win what we see in Job is that it is all under God's control God reigns. And we get that right here in this book. We see a God who actually loves us. He cares for us. That there's no darkness, there's no suffering that is beyond him. There's none of it. And God actually brings those questions without an answer directly to, to Job. God brings himself. And then we have, in chapter 42, Job responds. Now, just kind of stop in that, just for a second. Stop right there and and think about that moment. It isn't Job kind of trying to come up with some counter argument as if this was a trial. It isn't Job trying to muster up courage. it's, It's Job responds here. From a place of awe, a place that is different. It wasn't Job getting a stern talking to and then him kind of sheepishly hanging his head. Job responds from a place of awe. And so I want you to pick it up with me. I want you to pick it up here in 42 verse 1 and read this with me. Then Job answered the Lord and said, 
I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And what a monumental statement from where he's been. Verse 3. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Verse 5, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. You see, everything changed. Everything changed for Job because it went from something that he'd heard, from something that was just another fact in his life, to now the living God, the, the risen one, the, the, this God above all is right before him and, and he is in awe. I have heard of you, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, verse 6, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. It's so fascinating. We could go into all different angles around this, uh, just thinking of like, why does Job repent when, when he wasn't wrong in his first place? The, uh, his friends come early on telling him to repent, and he's like, I haven't sinned. And yet standing before God, he actually knows uh, the sin wasn't what caused all this trouble in his life. It, it said in the midst of all of it, he doubted God. And here, standing before him, he has a glimpse of his own sinfulness that is far beyond, that actually moves him, not just to wallow, but to repent and stand before God. And so I want us to do a couple things. I want us to think first about the difference between the friends. These friends right here, the, the friends were content to know about God. But Job wanted to know God. And the friends were content to, to say things about God, but Job wanted to hear from God. He didn't want to, he didn't want to just say things about God. He actually wanted to, to hear from God. God, where are you in the midst of all this? And, and I just wonder how many of us have pulled up in that same spot where we just want the meme. We just want to hear nice things, and we don't actually want God. And that's what this book kind of leads us to. See, if you, if you want a happy ending, you actually need God for that. And so I want us to, to hear this invitation. The invitation that was to Job. The invitation that was right there for Job and is to us as well, which is to return or to step towards this, this actual longing for God. For the person, the presence, the power of God at work in your life. And maybe that means that we stop saying, uh, like, God, I just want all this stuff. I want this new car. I want this thing. Whatever your, your list of things that you think will make you happy is, is that we, we would recognize with Job that what you really need, what the happy ending to the story is, is, is that you would receive, that you would know God. And that you'd see him in awe. And so as we, 
As we try to pull all of this together in this book of Job, and we try to kind of bring this to a head and see what's actually going on, let's do this through kind of walking through uh, what this or who this book is about and, and see it from that angle. And so first off, it's about Job. The most obvious thing is it's about Job. It's actually in the title. Uh, here's this story of this person. Read with me what happens after Job's response. The next few verses are really fascinating because we know that this story is going on. He has all this suffering, but notice what shifts in his life. Verse 7, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Timonite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, Think about that for just a second. We, did, we had all these chapters where Job progressively got worse and actually says things uh, that make us blush. They're like, I don't, I don't think you can say that, Job. I don't think you get to say that. And he has these moments where he's saying things, and yet from the beginning, these friends are here that come alongside him, and there's, there's some good things and bad things that the friends do. Uh, but here it is, and at the very end of this book, in no uncertain terms, God says to them, like, you have spoken wrongly about me, and Job has spoken rightly. Now, therefore, verse 8, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Timonite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Nemethite it went and did what the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. When I first sat down and I was just kind of in it and trying to taste everything, the, all the flavors that are in here. I, I just kept coming back to like, I wonder if I was Job if I would actually pray for them. After all he'd been through, after all his frustrations, after all of this, I just kept thinking, like, is Job going to pray for them? <laughs> Here are the friends, and suddenly Job is placed in between them and God. They showed up early in the story, and they were trying to be the ones in between God and Job. And what we find out in all of this is that they weren't actually helpful. They were reciting things. They, they were telling them things. They were giving facts. Uh, but what we get in the end is this suffering servant, this innocent one who now stands between them and God. And they come with a sacrifice, but they ultimately come because of a prayer. That is made for them. And in the rest of the book, the final section of this book is this restoration of all things to Job. Job has all of this restored to him. He actually gets basically his business back. His livelihood is all comes back. And then it tells you he has all these kids again, which is remarkable. And it comes back. He has all this stuff, his cattle, and it comes back double. But that wasn't what Job was praying for. In fact, Job repented. One through six comes before anything is restored in Job's life. 
You see, this book, uh, Job could have ended after six and it would be perfectly acceptable. Job could have finished after six and God would be worthy of all praise. Job could have ended right there at any point. Job could have ended early on. Job could have ended before God actually gave an answer and God is still worthy and God is still king and God still reigns. But it could have very much ended after six and Job would have gotten everything that he wanted. Why? Because God is actually, God is actually the great ending to the story. And here's how we know that. Like Job, Job gets all sorts of stuff back. He actually gets kids back in his life. It goes, it makes a point about these three daughters that Job gets in his life. But those kids that he lost, he still feels that. <laughs> He's still gonna grieve those kids. The victory and the happy ending to the story is that Job actually got the greatest answer to his question. He got God. Everything else is gravy. Everything else is, 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 is really uh, added on top. Grace upon grace. See, Job wasn't bullied into this. Job wasn't forced to, to say something right or contrite. Job wasn't like uh, beaten down and then it's like, you win. No, Job saw God for who he is the awe-inspiring one. The second thing I would th throw out is that this book, while it is about Job, is really about God. This book is about God and his character and who he is and what he has done, what he is doing, and ultimately what he promises to do. This book is entirely about God. We actually don't get answers to all the questions that are in this book. We don't get all the, the nice, tidy things that come away where we can like, okay, I got all my, my questions answered. Here we go. What we get is God, and he is enough. I love how Peter Kreeft puts it in one of his commentaries. He says this, when we read Job, we're like a little kid eating his spinach. Open your mouth and close your eyes, Job. And like spinach, it's not sweet tasting, but it puts iron in our blood. And that's this book, isn't it? There's like so much in it that's painful to read. There's so much in it. There's so many chapters in it that's like, oh, this is, this is really hard to, to stop and to sit in and to think about. And, and I'm glad that we have the book of Job, but I don't want any of that in my life. There's so much here. And yet just like spinach, which is still painful at 46, it's still painful for me to eat. Like spinach is actually something that, it's really helpful for us. This book is about God. We find ourselves in a culture obsessed with like getting the answers, getting this, and, and, and neatly putting all the answers in order for us. But that is not what this book is. Instead, it brings us face to face with the living God and invites us to live in his light with all of the untidy edges. All of them. with questions unanswered, with things that we would like to know, but we're not told, with knowing that this side of eternity, there will be some things that we don't get the end to. We don't get the whole story. But this is about God. It's about Job. It's about God. 
And though the, the name isn't in here, uh, this story is about Jesus. It points us back to Jesus again and again. We haven't actually read the book correctly if we miss Jesus happening in here. And we, we know this when you, you can read in John chapter 5. If you go to the Gospels, John chapter 5, Jesus is explaining this to them. He says this very thing in verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. See, he's talking to people just like us. They're like, well, like, here's this thing, and, and where's life? It, it is the prophets, the, the scriptures, it is the word of God that's actually speaking of Jesus. And even this book of Job is given to us about Jesus. So when we read this book, when we come to the pages in Job, and when you come to chapter 42 in particular, we read of Job, an innocent man who suffered greatly, and yet was justified by God for his sufferings. Here's this innocent sufferer, and yet Job is going to die. We read about Job who made sacrifices for his friends and had become enemies. He had offered prayers uh, for their forgiveness, and yet Job is going to die. And we come to this and we, we read about one, this this blameless one who suffers and makes a way for others. And we can't help but think about Jesus in that. I've tried to think of other ways of saying it, but one commentator puts it in ways far beyond me. And so uh, I'll just give this to you in its fullness. David Ash, in his commentary on Job, says it this way. He says, as the blameless believer par excellence, Jesus fulfills Job. As a great figure who offers sacrifices for his children at the start and his friends at the end, Job foreshadows Jesus, the great high priest. The monstrous ferocity of the beast Leviathan reaches its, its vicious depths in the life and depth pardon me, in the life and death of Jesus, who in his passion endures deep, deeper depths in a more solemn and awesome darkness than Job. The drama, the pain, and the perplexity of Job reach their climax at the cross of Jesus Christ. In the darkness, in God-forsakenness of those terrible hours of lonely agony, the sufferings of Job are transcended and fulfilled. And as the blameless believer, accused and despised by men, but finally vindicated by God in the resurrection, Jesus fulfills the drama and longing of Job for justification. Jesus, this book is actually about Jesus. And finally, this book, though it is about Job, it is about God, it is about Jesus, it is also about us, you and I, in our difficult seasons. One of the reasons I think this book is in here is for the dark days in our lives. Those days where there are questions and no answers. Those days that we're in the mines and not on the mountaintop. Those days where we, we don't even see how to get past this moment. The days where uh, we feel our shame, we feel all the weight this world has for us. Job is there to help us see it. 
Again, it's like spinach. It's 42 chapters. It's not a meme. It's not 168 characters to help us through the day. It, it is 42 chapters, but it gives us a full meal to feast on in our darkness in our days. I believe if Job could shout anything to us on this Sunday, I think he would say, look to the greater innocent sufferer who full of mercy and compassion offered up himself to the guilty. Which brings us full circle to that verse that we read right at the beginning. Not from Job, but from James. Which tells us something really beautiful for us. As an example, James chapter 5 says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. See, remember, James is writing to a group of believers years after Job. And he's saying, look at Job and what he's gone through. Look at what God has done in this. Look at Job because you're in this story too. And what does he say? And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. My prayer for you this week, for our church this week, and as I would see your faces and think of, of you, is that you, you would know that you will have seen the purpose of the Lord, his mercy and his compassion. I love how Dane Ortland puts it in a, such a beautiful book. Uh, Gentle and Lowly is the title. If you don't have it, I would encourage you to get it. We will have some here, I believe, next week. Uh, but uh, such a great, simple, devotional to read, to hear about the character of God. He says it this way. To speak of God the Father as the Father of mercies is to say that he is the one who multiplies compassionate mercies to his needful wayward, messy, fallen, and wandering people. It's God who multiplies those things to all of us. And, and just full confession, I could check all of those boxes this week. All of those boxes. Wayward, needful, fallen, wandering, messy, each and every one of those I fulfilled at some point this week. And yet it is, is the testimony of Job. It is the testimony of the whole of Scripture. It is the testimony right here that Jesus is better. He knows what it feels like to be plunged into darkness. He knows what it, is, it feels like to be abandoned or led astray by your friends. He knows what it feels like to experience the silence of the Lord. He knows what it feels like for all of those things. And yet he is our merciful high priest. He is also the sacrifice made for us. And right now, risen from the grave, he is the one sitting at the right hand of God the Father, praying and interceding on our behalf. He is the gift. He is the happy ending. You see, he's more 
He's more than just a means to your happiness or my happiness. He's not a, he's not a means to stuff. He's more than just uh, having things go your way. He, he's more than just any of those. It's, it's actually through Jesus and in Jesus that the difficulties and pains of life are made right. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that's the happy ending for us.